So as Kevin said, we're looking uh, this summer at uh, Selected Psalms, and today we're up to Psalm 46. That text is printed in the bulletin and also up on uh, the screens behind me. Um, Again, uh, this summer, just to make it sound a little different and uh, engage us a little bit more, uh, we're reading the Psalms uh, for uh, the sermon uh, in the uh, uh, King James Version, uh, just uh, to get a little more uh, sense of the... Well, the meter and the uh, uh, lyricism that is uh, that is uh, that's in the psalm. So, Psalm 46, it's in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. This is the word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea? Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. There is a river, the streams whereof make, shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease and to the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is is our refuge. So one of the things that you note about Psalm 46, if you've been around church very much at all, you know that it is a one of the uh, centerpieces, one of the important uh, passages uh, that we read, and uh, particularly in memorial services and funeral services. And the the reason for this is because of the images that the psalm carries and the the sense that you live in this world and you are surrounded by uncertainty and things that are changing and things that are moving and things that are falling apart. Uh, and so in the midst of that, what we, what we hear and we see is this great word to us about the nature of God, but more than that, about the nature of God's relationship and his connection uh, to us. So uh, what I want us to do this morning is to think a little bit about the, the, the necessity of God as our refuge. I'm going to make some observations about the images that are in the text, and then we'll look at the two commands uh, at, the, uh, at the end of the text. So AJ, put, put my notes up there first. So as I've been thinking about this this week, one of the things that uh, I have been struck by is just to talk a little bit about the way I think about God as my refuge and the way I think I think most of us think about God as our refuge. And this it's like this. So I think about God as my refuge and I hear these words and I and I read this text and I think, yes, God is my refuge after I have expended all of my energy in making sure I and mine are safe, right? Uh, and then whatever else is out of my control, I entrust that to God, expecting him to protect me against those things which seem outside of my control. That's the way I think about it, right? So, so, and in fact, that seems reasonable. It seems even responsible. It seems like that's what you're supposed to do. That what you should do is you should look at the world and you see all the threats that are in the world, all the difficulties that are in the world, and you sit down and you decide, listen, I am going to be a saver. 401k, fully funded. 
I'm going to make sure I plant my kids in, in the safest neighborhood possible. I'm going to make sure that when I go to the grocery store, I don't buy any food that I can't pronounce the name of. Right? So whatever ingredients might be in that, if it's, if it's not oats or wheat or beef or chicken, something that I can read and understand, I'm not going to get that. I am not going to subject my family to the unsafe things that are out there. I'm going to make sure that I wear sunscreen. I'm going to make sure that wherever I go, whatever I do, I am protected. Now, I'm smart enough and religious enough to know that there are some things in the world that I can't control. And so, for those things, God, you're my refuge. <laughs> you're my refuge. But everything else, i got a pretty good handle on that. So, as I've thought about this, I've thought, you know, what a, what a silly way to, to think about life. Um, I would submit to you, and I think this is accurate of every human being who has lived since our first parents were thrown out of the garden, we have sought the refuge of the garden. We have sought the certainty of provision. We have sought the certainty of safety. We have sought the certainty to know that though the world is a wild and woolly place and there are threats all around us, I, in my way, somehow or other, am going to create this this bubble of safety, this bubble of security, this bubble of refuge, so that come what may, though the mountains fall into the sea and the seas roar, whatever may happen, I and mine will be safe. And whatever else I can't guarantee, God will. Uh, the thing that's so interesting to me about that is, is I just think that the, the reality is that we live in a day and age with so much information and so many things to tell us about things that, that will undo us and destroy us and so many things that we can do to make ourselves safe that honestly when we find ourselves uh, spending most of our time and energy avoiding ever having to say what the psalmist says, God is my refuge. So I was doing some reading this week, and I came across uh, this uh, quote. It says, do you live as a member of the body of a resurrected Christ? Or are you like the disciples? At the end of John's account of the resurrection, Mary Magdalene reports back to them that the Christ is risen, that she has seen the living body of Jesus. Yet the very next verse, the next verse, it's a few hours later, and the disciples have got the doors locked, for fear of the Jewish leaders. Read doors locked as refuge. Right? I've created a place where I can be safe. I've created a place I can be secure. I know that I can lock these doors. And these men who just a few days earlier were able to take Jesus and nail Him to a cross, this locked door will keep me safe. It will protect me. It will make sure that nothing comes through this. And how ironic. Who busts through the door without busting the door open? But Jesus, right? Suddenly, there he is in the midst of them, right? And Jesus comes and tells them, peace be with you. And he speaks the same words to us over and over. But do we believe it? 
All right, let me stop right now and just say, I know that some of this is going to make some of you angry. Because what you believe is the world is a fearful place. And I have the responsibility to see to it that I protect myself and particularly I protect my children. But then I read this question. Do we live in fear of a death that's already been defeated, a death that Paul testifies will be swallowed up in victory? Jesus said, Jesus said, don't fear the one that can hurt your body. Don't fear the death of your body. Fear the death of your soul. So if you've got an issue, take it up with him. He said that. I'm simply passing it along. <laughs> okay. Next slide. So while I was thinking about this, I, I think one of the things that we have to see about this is that, that death is real and it's unjust. It's cruel and rapacious. It is real. And so honestly, folks, this is right in our sweet spot. This is, this is right up our alley because these things are real. We have the information. We have the technology. We have all of these things. And we, we have the sense that, you know, one of the, one of the words that I think 100, 200 years from now that people will say about the Americans who live in this country at this day and age is the word hedge. We hedge. We get, we make sure that we are hedged against all of these risks. And so that what we do is we, and, and this is the great thing and the great appeal to many of us of the gospel is I am in such control and I have hedged myself against so much risk and I have protected my family and I have done all of these things and, 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 and so I'm hedged against all of these things. And then at that, to add to that, the great news is I have God as my refuge and so I have locked it down. So, the most reasonable response to such a precarious existence is fear. That's the most reasonable thing. But there's nothing reasonable about the resurrection. And so we hope. Um, one of the things that I think is profound about us, and one of the things that I think is, is so true, is that... Um, we uh, we talk much of the love of God. We talk much of the refuge that is ours in Christ. And yet so much of our lives and so much of our time and our energy is spent as if we had no refuge except the one we can provide for ourselves. Uh, <clears throat> Matt Loftus is a guy who uh, has been a doctor in South Sudan and now he lives in the Sandtown neighborhood of Baltimore. Not like Candlewood, <laughs> okay? Uh, and he wrote this week talking about uh, what, uh, well, he says, by contrast, concentrating our formational energy, the things that we can make, formational energy, uh, in places of physical safety and economic security allows more opportunities for otherwise good American values to become idols, 
Late modern capitalism and the technology it has brought about has incredible potential to be corrosive to faith and family. He says this about his family, by consciously placing ourselves and our families into situations where our trust in God for our safety and security is evident, which means most of us spend our lives placing ourselves and our children in situations where our trust in God doesn't have to be evident. Candlewood. I'm the most dangerous person in my neighborhood. <laughs> the people the people that live there are afraid of me. <laughs> and you know, I get that. <laughs> By consciously placing ourselves and our families into situations where our trust in God for our safety and security is evident and our love for others is costly, we rebuke the powers of this age, which I think ironically for us, I think for many of us, he's talked about idols and then the powers of this age, uh, that is frugality, simplicity, and isolation. Right? And so this morning I want to say to you this, you know, if, if you, as you think about these things and as you understand these things and as you wrestle with this, and trust me, I think we need to wrestle with this because we are a fearful a, uh, group and we live in a fearful age. I will not stand before you today and tell you that you need not be afraid because there's nothing out there to be afraid of. I will tell you rather, in fact, that precisely because there is much in this world to be afraid of, God must be your refuge. A verse I've spent a lot of time over the last few years thinking about is this one. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. And you know what? What I think is so powerful about that and so wonderful about that is I see this picture of this giant tower and I see Steve Shelby scared out of his wits running, running, running. My friends, let me tell you today to run. Don't wait. Run in faith to the strong tower. There is no other refuge. And all of these other things in our wisdom and in our stewardship that we place our hopes and our trust in are good and fine. And let me tell you, you be responsible, be responsible, but run like a crazy man to the strong tower because there is no other refuge. And do not allow these things, your wisdom, your talents, your ability, your self-righteous thought that somehow or other you can hedge yourself against death itself, that you think that you can do that, run. And when I say run, I mean believe, trust, throw yourself at that strong refuge. There is no other place. And the man who runs, who sees the world for what it is, who understands the power of death and hell, the one who understands the power of temptation, let him run. Run. In your fear, run to the strong tower. Jesus Christ is that tower. And what he did in his life, death, and resurrection is the only security you will find. You will find. Next slide. So a few observations about, about this text. Um, so first of all, uh, 
in this psalm, there is nothing about our own virtue, courage, or wisdom. And that's why it's so powerful. It does not say to us, this is what the courageous man does. It does not say to us, this is what the brave man does. It does not say those things to us. It simply trumpets to us this great truth that God is our refuge and strength in a world where mountains fall into the ocean. We will never know what strength is till our own weakness drives us to trust Jesus' omnipotence and power. That's quite a pill, isn't it? To admit your weakness, and that's the only pathway to understand Jesus' omnipotence and power. Secondly, the peace that this psalm speaks to does not come to us simply by what God is, but what God, uh, what and who God is to me. Jack Miller used to say that the gospel comes to us in personal pronouns. God is our refuge. God is my refuge. God is my strength. And so the the thing that we have to see there is that we appropriate that by faith, that we recognize that Jesus Christ has joined himself to us and us to him, and that we cling to him because he holds certainly to us. And as we see that and as we, we trust that, that is the thing that we recognize here is that in the midst of a world where mountains can fall into the sea, where kids get cancer and, and, and healthy people die of heart attacks and, and, and you can be in a, at, a, at a Christmas party and your coworker can shoot you up or whatever the thing may be that you strikes fear into your heart or that, that drives you into this place, the fact of the matter is what is true for us What is true today is that this God, this God is my God. This God who is the refuge is my refuge. This refuge is my God, right? Thirdly, the image of the mountains and the image of water. Notice what he says here that uh, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, Though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. One of the things that we note and one of the things that's important to see about the, uh, th- that text is when you look about you, whether you look at the little mountains that we have here on the east coast or the big mountains out, on, out west, they look solid. They look secure. They look like they've been there forever and they always will be there. And we look at them and we see them as something that seems stayed, ready, st- secure, that it's not going to go anywhere. But the fact of the matter is, what appears to us so often to be strong and secure and unchanging and solid falls away, falls away. And then we have this picture of the sea and its roaring and its its unpredictability. You know, we, we read that and we think, oh, these ancients, you know, they, they were so afraid of the ocean. It seems so big to them. It seems so wild to them. It seems so crazy to them. Why, it's where we go for vacation. It's our fun place. It's the great place. Well, let me tell you something about the ocean. Oceans produce 
Hurricanes. Did you know that? (laughs) That's where they come from. You can't control it. Oceans produce sharks. Did you know that? They are a fearful thing. It is a shark week. Come on. We know that, right? So, so the fact is, when we, we look at that and we see the roaring and the, the fact that it can't be controlled, it can't be controlled. It's terrifying if you really allow yourself to think very long and hard about it. But there's another image for water in this, this text. He says, there's a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God. We read that and we think, oh, just like Richmond. We have a river. We have Belle Isle. We have Browns Island. It's a park-like setting. It's a place where we can go for music festivals, and it's a place where we can end our road races, and it's a place, and you know, those people in Richmond, they'd be so much better off if they would just develop the riverfront. It's so peaceful and wonderful. It, it, oh, yeah, I get that. You know, the, the river makes glad the city of, of God. It's, it's, it's a pleasant It's a fun thing. Well, I will tell you, if you've lived in Richmond long enough, you will know that that river could be hateful. Before the flood wall, it was destructive, really destructive. So now we've got it, you know, we've we've got a flood wall, which means somebody else gets the flood. (laughs) That's the way those things work, (laughs) right? Um, but, But David here, when he writes this, is not talking about a nice river, a nice park. He's talking about survival. Let me explain. In the ancient world, uh, when an army attacked a walled city, you know, we watch Game of Thrones or these other shows, and there's all this great, you know, all these things that people do to siege a city and bust the walls down. You don't have to do that. All you got to do is park outside, set up your grill and your tent, get your guys around and circle the city, and wait, because starvation and thirst kills just effect as effectively, if not more so, than the sword. But if you've got a river flowing down the middle of your city, you're safe. You've got life. You've got water to drink. And so that river that is described here is not simply a fun place to take the kids. It's life. It's what you depend on when the walls are shut in around you. Also notice here at the end of the psalm that God is not simply a passive refuge, but an active disarmer. Notice, notice what, uh, what he says here, right? Uh, Come and behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He makes wars to cease. Until the end of the earth, he breaks the bow and cuts the spear in sunder. He burns the chariot with fire. One of the things that we we see about that is that our God is not just a passive refuge. He's not just standing here and giving us a place to come and run behind him and hide. But this God enters into our world. Jesus Christ strode into this world. He took on our flesh. And when he died on the cross, he disarmed sin. He disarmed guilt. When he made atonement for sin, he destroyed that weapon that could be used against us. He destroyed its power. When you feel like that power, that weapon is being used against you, the blood of Christ defeats the guilt and the shame of sin. 
Jesus Christ did that. He disarms those enemies. He takes away their ability to hurt us, their ability to kill us, their ability to to put us in some sort of jeopardy. When we see the gospel, when we hear the words of Jesus Christ, we know that that's true. When we hear and we see that he has been risen from the dead, that enemy death has been disarmed. Where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has not only is your refuge, not only promises to take care of you to safety, not only promises to take care of you, he has destroyed and disarmed your enemies. And by His very life, death, and resurrection, by His atoning sacrifice, we trust and we recognize that. Not only does He protect us, but He is on the offense against our enemies to undo those that would undo us. Next next slide, please, AJ. And then lastly, the glory and the exaltation of our God uh, is the hope of the world. Notice what he says. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. One of the things that we have to see is, is that the very glory of God, the, the very moment as Scripture describes, where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is, is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, is the moment where peace and security will be break out upon this planet and those things which have threatened you, those things which make you uh, afraid, will not even be a memory. Will not even be a memory. So the exaltation and the glory of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. That is the direction that where history is moving. That is where we are going. That is the place of ultimate security, ultimate safety, ultimate glory. Because when Jesus Christ is full in his glory over this planet, safety, security, glory will reign. That's what he died to get us. And that is what he is bringing to this planet. Now, one of the things to note about this is this psalm is that there are two commands. One is to come and behold, and the other one is to be still. To come and behold the works of the Lord and to be still and know that he is God. John Piper says this, One of the reasons we invest our lives in some insignificant ways is that we never become still enough to let the great realities hit us. We are always on the move. Always in a hurry. And, you know, if we're not in a hurry, we, we look about us and we see those people who aren't in a hurry and who are in our way. And we think less of them. We think they're lazy we think they're less because they're not in a hurry. I've been so jealous this week of uh, the uh, our former mayor and lieutenant governor and governor because it occurs to me that how awesome life would be if you had armed men riding in a number of black SUVs in front of you and behind you that cleared everybody out of the way wherever you went. You'd never be late. And in fact, you wouldn't have to be in a hurry because you could stop everybody else. You could frustrate them, right? Instead of, I mean, I just think that, I think that's a, that's a crazy thing. I wish I had the secret service to get me where I want to go, right? So, 
So, and, and, and the, the other thing about it is, I look at this and I think, part of your problem, part of your problem <laughs> is that you don't share, you're not in a hurry about the things that I'm in a hurry about. Why don't you share the same urgency about my life and my, my priorities that I have, right? And so, so whenever we get ourselves in a hurry and we look about us and we think, what is wrong with these people? Don't they see what's going on? They need to get on the same track with me and get in a hurry so that we can all get to our appointed des- destinations at the same time, right? We're always in a hurry. Or when we do stop, we flip on the radio or the TV or the phone, or the computer, and let someone else's hurry fill our minds. I have a a couple of theories about this. Um, One theory is you're really afraid. And one of the ways to keep you from being afraid is to distract yourself. to get busy, and whether it's Instagram or Facebook or BuzzFeed or whatever, it's a way to not have to think about something. I also think that, honestly, if I had to confess my sin, I would say a couple of things. One is that information is my refuge. Not truth, (laughs) but information. And there's never been a time when unlimited information was as readily available to us as it is in our pocket and in our hand. But I'll tell you what I think most of us are afraid of. I think... You're afraid to be bored. God forbid that we'd ever be bored. God forbid that we might have to think about the nature of reality or the nature of our souls or the nature of the gospel. I am terrible at this. We took our daughter to a great restaurant for her birthday and it was fun and it was exciting and I did with her what I do with everyone I sat down and I pulled my phone out and I set it on the table and apparently to her displeasure I picked it up and looked at it a few times and she said dad that phone is your pacifier. Well, why do you give a baby a pacifier? To pacify them. Because the gospel is not enough. The company of people I love and who love me is not enough. But this, this is enough. We are commanded in this psalm to come and behold, 
to see, to take in, to believe the wonders of the great acts of our God for us. And we are commanded in this psalm to be still and to know that he is God. I don't do this very often, um, and I, uh, because I believe my job is to tell you the gospel. But I'm going to tell you today that one of the reasons why God doesn't seem like much of a refuge to you is because you're not still. You're never still. Stillness threatens you. We don't want to be alone with our thoughts or our fears and sadly, or our God. Jesus Christ says to us today uh, that he is our strong tower, that he has disarmed our enemies and we run to him in faith. Would you run to him in faith or would you run rather to something else that seems to give momentary distraction which feels like safety and security. Next slide, please, AJ. So uh, I read this quote a couple of weeks ago when we read, uh, looked at Psalm 23 from Marilyn Robinson. Um, she said, as children, we learn to say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. We learned that after his resurrection, Jesus told his disciples, Lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. Christ is a gracious, abiding presence in all reality. And in him, history will finally be resolved. The psalmist says, the Lord of hosts is with us. When I'm busy and I'm not still and my eyes are not open, I cannot tell who's with me. I have no sense, though there is one with me, there is the refuge, there is the destroyer of my enemies, I cut myself off from the awareness that he is with me. Jesus Christ lived and died, rose again, so that he could be with us until the end of the age. And today, he gives us the sacrament to remind us in a tangible way, in a way that we can hold, taste, 